Hey, good morning, friends. Great to see you in person, and so grateful for all of you who are staying connected with us online. This is a, has been our largest crowd uh, for in-person services, and not, at a, not as a church that we're driven by numbers. We're grateful for the many ways God has kept us connected, whether it's in person or virtually, and uh, just grateful for the last year, how God has sustained us with His grace. It's a year this week since so many things, including in-person church, were suspended, and so many things around us were suspended. And I, I think back to some of the conversations that happened around a year ago this time of uh, how we were going to go about having guidelines and suspending things. And it's what a wild year. I'm just grateful for God's faithfulness. Let me let you know a couple of things, a few things that are going to happen over the next two weeks. This coming Saturday at 5 o'clock is our The Awakening Service. This is a monthly worship experience at 5 o'clock uh, here in person. We also provide this uh, virtually for you to participate. Uh, we launched this back in January, and this is a night where Kip and a few mus musicians work all month to put together a worship set that help guide us deeper into the heart of God. I'll have a, a teaching period, and then the focus of the awakening is that we just build into this time of focused, intense prayer. And we invite you to be a part of this as, as a church as we continue asking God to awaken us, to bring revival to us and beyond. So would love for you to participate in that. Next Sunday morning is going to be just a little different. Uh, for our, our worship service. Kip and I have been working on a lament type service for us. It's been a year since we suspended in-person church and uh, since so many things around us have looked differently. And there's been a lot of things that we have lost over the last year. There have been loss of lives. There have been loss of dreams, loss of plans, loss of uh, how's retirement going to work. Just a lot of things we've lost. So what we're going to do is we're going to use Matthew chapter 14 as a template next Sunday. And I just I encourage you to be a part of this. What I'm going to do is we're going to we're just kind of weaving a little teaching part and singing and prayer and times for us to just offer up loss of uh, things we have lost. There's going to be a moment for us just to be able to express uh, emotion, to express questions that we have of God and of life, and then to hopefully build to a point where we're expressing radical trust in God, how God's faithfulness uh, helps us make it through anything that comes in our past. So next Sunday, it's going to be a little different, but this could be a day for you to invite someone to church, just a, especially people who have experienced loss and grief, where they may just receive a touch of God that could be the healing that they need. In two weeks from today on the 21st, I just want you to circle 12 o'clock that day to about 2 o'clock. Uh, we've had someone who just came up with an idea of, hey, we just need to have a celebration as a church. So that day for a couple of hours after the 11 o'clock worship service, we're going to uh, go outside. We're bringing in a few food trucks for us, and we're just going to have a time of fellowship as a church. So, uh, and, and that should be a time for those of you who want to join us in worship virtually. You'll have time to get up here and enjoy some fellowship. So Saturday's the awakening. Next Sunday's going to be a little different, but I expect God to do some really good things in our service next Sunday. And then two weeks from today, we're going to have a celebration together. Look forward to that, and I hope you put it on your calendar. In Jonah chapter 4, and this is where we're going to be today, I want you to open in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Uh, it's kind of there in the middle to the right. Maybe you know where Jonah is. It's in between Obadiah and Micah. And Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah makes this statement to God. And this is a statement. This is the verse that the Old Testament quotes more than any other verse. So Jonah is quoting what God says about himself in Exodus chapter 34. 
And this is repeated in Nehemiah and Psalm 103. There are other places in the Bible that repeat this word for word, and Jonah does. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, it says this, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah quotes what is quoted more than anything else in the Old Testament. And this is a quote about God's compassion and how willing God is to forgive and how uh, reluctant and, uh, God is, that, that God doesn't delight in bringing destruction, how abounding the love of God is for us. This is what our God is like. This is who our God is. Jonah recites the truth that is repeated more than any truth in the Old Testament. This is who our God is. Now, you may not know a lot about Jonah. We don't know a lot about Jonah. We don't know much about his family. We just know he's in between Obadiah and Micah. Obadiah, the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament tweet. And Micah, who is not a well-known prophet or well-liked prophet. Most people believe that Jonah was contemporaries, that other prophets who were along with them were Amos and Hosea. And Hosea and Amos have messages for the people of God that they did not make many friends. People wanted to do away with them. And here's Jonah. We don't know much about him. The Old Testament doesn't recite him. The Old Testament doesn't retell this story. If you grew up in vacation Bible school or in children's ministry, you've heard this story. It's It's compelling. So when you think of Jonah, I want to give you three seconds. What is the word that comes to mind when you think of Jonah? Just think about it. What is the word that comes to mind when you think of Jonah? On the count of three, I want you to shout this out. And those of you at home, you can shout it out too because nobody's going to probably hear you, right? One, two, three. <laughs> all right. I, I, there were a lot of different things coming at me, all right? And you may, have been, you may have sat there and you're like, the first thing that came to mind was fish, but then you were like, everybody else is going to say fish. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think of something else. I asked people this past week who I bumped into, I would say, hey, what do you think of when you think of the word Jonah? And almost everybody either said whale or fish. It's a story about Jonah and the fish. And part of Jonah is about Jonah and a fish, but there's so much more going on in this story. Jonah and the storm, it's a story about salvation, about deliverance. It's a story about mission. It's a story about rebellion. It's a story about awakening, how God keeps coming to Jonah with an assignment and with orders. And God, there's something God wants Jonah to do. And then finally it like clicks in Jonah like, oh, that's what God wants me to do. And maybe this has happened in your life too, where you, you sense that God has asked you to do something or has commanded you to do something. And you, you didn't do it. And finally it's like, oh, that's what, that's what God wanted me to do. That's who God wanted me to talk to. About eight or nine years ago, I remember telling you the, the story. I was traveling down to Florida to speak one weekend, and uh, it had just been a time in my life. My kids were at an age where it was really distracting in the home. Like, it's distracting in the sense that it was just hard for me to have a time with God. I felt like I'd just been in this season where I was tired, I was distracted, my connection to God just didn't seem like it was happening. It was a season of ministry that was hard, and I just, I, I was just off. And I remember as I was driving to the airport that morning, I sensed on my drive in, I was having this prayer time with God about the weekend, and I sensed the Lord just say to me, Josh, there are five talks that I want to speak through you this weekend. But it's not just me speaking through you. When you're not talking and you have some of that downtime, I want you to be in your hotel room with the TV off because there's some things I need to reveal to you. There's some things going on in you, some insecurities I need to bring to light. So there's some things I would like to do in your life this week. I just need you to pay attention. So this is kind of what I heard from God as I was going into an airport and I boarded the flight. This was eight or nine years ago. 
So when you got on flights eight or nine years ago, you could not hold your cell phone the entire time. You had to put all your devices away until you got above 10,000 feet. So all the devices are down and a woman sat next to me. So because all the devices were up, this was a time where I was always discerning with the Lord. Like, is this a, God, is this an earbud in flight or an earbud out flight? Meaning I keep my earbuds in to let everyone else around me know that I, like conversations are off. I don't want to be talked to or earbud out to see if maybe there are conversations I could strike up with people around me. I'm probably one of those people on a flight that you don't want to sit next to. Because I'm at least going to see if you want to talk about something in life. All right, so she's, this, this woman sits down next to me. And of course, we, she, she engaged me in a conversation of what are our names and what do we do and where are we from. And when she found out what I did, within five minutes, this conversation went deep. Because this was a woman going through a midlife crisis, and she started sharing everything with me. Her marriage was struggling because of it. Her relationship with her kids were off. She was battling depression in her life. So for an hour from Memphis to Atlanta, for an hour I'm helping this woman process some of the brokenness in her life. And where is God when things hurt? And she was a woman who had a relationship with God, but she was just off in a lot of areas in her life. She just needed so many reminders of the truth of God and the character of God and, and who Jesus is and, and the God who is there with us through it all. So we were about to land in Atlanta. We're flying through the city to the airport, and the airplane turned around and started going away from the city of Atlanta. I didn't think much of it because I'm sitting here having the conversation with midlife crisis woman. So we're flying in the opposite direction, and then the pilot comes on, and the pilot said, look, here's, here's the challenge we have. Is that an emergency light came on and said that the front wheel of the plane is stuck, and we're not sure if it's going to open. But we've been given clearance to land the plane anyway, so there's a chance that we could just slide on the belly of the plane until we come to a stop. So the pilot's like, and, and, and articulating this to us a little better than I am to you right now, all we heard was, there's a chance we're going to crash and we're not going to make it. Right, so pilot tells a flight attendant to prepare us for, like to put us in a certain position. So they walked us through how to cross our arms over our body and the forehead needed to be on the seat in front of us. And we practiced this with the flight attendants. And the flight attendants went down every aisle and kind of touched every seat, making sure we were okay. And I watched the flight attendants go all the way to the back of the plane because I wanted to see if when they got to the back, if they started like praying and like crying out to God and like crossing, they're like, this is it. But they, they seemed like they were at peace. And I remember right before we landed, I had this moment of, man, is this it? Like, and I started praying just that God would take care of Casey and True to know if this was it. And, and I remember the last thing I thought was, just, dude, hold it together. Like, don't scream. Because midlife crisis lady is like holding my hand, asking me to pray. And I just didn't want there to be one survivor on this plane who, who, like, when they interviewed him, you know, they're like, all I remember is dude in 22D was, like, crying for his mommy. Like, I didn't want that, I didn't want that to be me. And we had this smooth landing, all right, and fire trucks were on the ground right there, right there next to us. We had this smooth landing. Everything was fine. Wheel came out. Everything was fine. As I walked off the plane, I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, like, this morning, I felt like God was telling me, I need you to pay attention this weekend. And I was like, God, you have my attention. I don't think God created that whole thing just to get my attention because I'm sure that thing we went through like threw people off that entire day, right? I don't think that's exactly how God worked in my life. But because that happened, God had my attention. 
And that weekend, God revealed some things in me that I needed to rebuke, I needed to get rid of. There's this awakening in Jonah's life, and not just in Jonah's life, in the lives of thousands of people in the book of Jonah. In the the Bible, Jesus is the only one in the New Testament who refers back to Jonah. And the context Jesus does it is in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it's this. Jesus, or, or the Bible says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be in three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. And in Matthew 16, Jesus says something similar, like you keep asking for a sign, but the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. And that's the only time in the New Testament anyone references or points to Jonah. Now, Jesus references to Jonah as if he just assumes people know the story. And the story of Jonah may be really challenging for some of you because, like, how could someone live in the belly of a fish for three days? Like, what are the oxygen levels inside the belly of a fish? Like, just analytically, like, how could this happen? And it may be a stretch, but Jesus just assumes that there is a narrative, there is a story that people have learned from and that people know. So let's uh, let's dive deeper into, into this story today. And here's how I want to teach Jonah. We're in a series right now on anchoring in the storm, looking at some of the storms that happen throughout the Bible, and what do we learn about God in them? And this is one of the most well-known storms that happen in the Bible. It is a story about Jonah and a fish. It's also a story about Jonah and a storm. And I just want to remind you, I do not believe that every physical or metaphorical storm that happens in your life is of God, but I do believe that God can work in all the storms that we face in life. And what I want you to know about storms is that uh, uh, <clears throat> what I wanted you to know about storms is that storms, I, I feel like, especially over the last year of our lives, storms often reveal either the strength or the weakness of our anchoring. Is that storms and crises or crises in life often reveal the strength or the weakness of our anchoring. So here's how I want to teach Jonah for a few minutes this morning. Is I want to teach it in two halves. There's part one, part two. And there are five points, and the same flow that happens in part one of Jonah also happens in part two of Jonah. And I want to walk you through this and then encourage you to go home and read Jonah. It's four short chapters. But here's how I want to teach you. There's part one, which is chapter one and two, and there's part two, which is chapter three and four. And the first thing, the first point that you see in each one of them is that God gives Jonah an assignment. And in chapter 1, it begins with this. In chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And then in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, the first part of part 2, is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Which I love this, that even though Jonah gets part one completely wrong, rebels against God, flees against God, God doesn't give up on Jonah. God doesn't give up on commissioning Jonah. God doesn't wait until you to figure out life 
and to make a bunch of perfect decisions in your life before God will use you. There are moments where you have gotten it completely wrong, yet the same God who's going to choose to commission Jonah, even after he got it wrong, is the same God who's going to continue to commission you to. Part point two is this, that after the assignment, there's a response from Jonah. And in part one, the response to God telling him to go and preach in Nineveh is this. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this. Because sometimes we think that Jonah had a command from God, didn't want to go to Nineveh, and just took off. Now, there are moments in life where you have rebelled against God, where we have rebelled against God, and when we have sinned because we were tempted in the moment and we just gave in. There was a moment of weakness and we gave into it. And then there are moments when you are tempted and you actually like think through and process and you know the consequences and you know what you're doing and you do it anyway. Like it's deliberate. Think about this for Jonah. Not only does he decide to flee from God, he develops a plan on how he's going to flee from God. He doesn't just jump on a boat and go. He goes down to Joppa to pay a fare. So he makes plans to get on a ship. He's on a ship while other people, a lot of people are boarding the ship. And then he leaves. Like he totally thinks through what fleeing from God is going to look like in his life. Now, in part two, God commands him to go to Nineveh, and his response is a little different. In chapter three, verse three, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, maybe his heart was reluctant, it wasn't in the right place, but in part two, Jonah obeys and he goes. Now, point three in both part one and part two is this. Jonah testifies something about God in both of them. So there's assignment that is given, there's a response, and then Moses, I mean, Jonah is going to speak truth about God. Now, there's this storm that happens, and if you read the book of Jonah, it says God brought on this storm because of Jonah's disobedience. And all the other people on the ship are deeply spiritual. They're praying to all their different gods, and Jonah's asleep. And they wake up Jonah and like, why are you not praying to your God? And then here's what happens in verse, uh, beginning in verse 8. It says, so they ask him, they ask Jonah, tell us, like, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He doesn't say, I'm a Hebrew who worshiped God. It's that I'm a Hebrew, and I worship God. Jonah's still declaring his allegiance in God, so he didn't stop believing. He declares his allegiance in God. And in chapter 3, verse 4, it says Jonah went into Nineveh, walked a day's, a day's trip into Nineveh, and then he says, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And we don't know what else happened in that teaching. We do know a few things about Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. It was the capital of Assyria. And it was known for having a military they were ruthless. They would commit genocide. I mean, they would just go around wiping out people. So imagine if you were Jonah and God came to you and said, I want you to go to a place where, like, it's, they're notorious. Like, they are known for being hate-filled people. It could have felt like a death sentence. 
And Jonah goes there and declares the destruction of God. So there's assignment, there's a response from Jonah, there's a testifying that happens, a testimony. Jonah is testifying to the truth of God. And the fourth thing that you see is there's a turning to God. There's repentance that happens. So on the ship, what you read in verse 14 is this. Then they cried out to the Lord. These are all these people on the ship. Please, Lord. And now they're, they're crying out to Jonah's God. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. And then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And l- listen to this. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows to the Lord. It doesn't say that they gave up their other gods, but at least for a few moments, like everyone on that ship, they are directing their praise, their affection, their sacrifices, and their vows to Jonah's God. And then what you read in part two, in Jonah chapter three, he walks into Nineveh, he declares the destruction is coming, and then you read this, the Ninevites believed God. And a fast was proclaimed, all of them, from the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, the highest place in Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink. Not even Lassie and Rufus and Grizz and all your other pets, all your other livestock. They don't eat either. Like this king is taken so seriously. This, this command, this, this message that Jonah brought, like everything needs to shut down and repent before the Lord. Let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Because who knows? God may yet relent. In some of your versions, God may change his mind. And with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So I want you to think about this. Jonah is the only prophet, preacher, teacher, evangelist in the entire Bible that when we read their story, every single person they talked to about God repented in some kind of way. He's the most successful, when it comes to people responding to a message, he's the most successful communicator in the Bible. This is God working through Jonah. And he's also the one you probably don't ever want to be like. Isn't that crazy? So everybody on the ship, well, we know everyone on the ship is declaring and directing their worship to God. And now all these Ninevites are fasting and declaring and repenting their faith in God. And the fifth point that you see in each one is there's expression to God from Jonah. All of chapter 2 is a prayer to God from the belly of a fish. 25% of Jonah is a prayer from a pit. And it's a beautiful prayer. This is a prayer I would give anyone to offer up if you were in the pit of life, if you were in a valley. Offer it up. Pray this. Jonah, it's a beautiful prayer of being covered by the waves of life and crying out to God for salvation and deliverance because that's the only place it comes from. It's a beautiful prayer. And then in chapter 4, after God relented and had mercy on the Ninevites, here's what you read. And here's how Jonah expressed himself to God. 
But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, that God would actually have mercy on the Ninevites. And, and Jonah became angry about this. And he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing the Tarshish. Because I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah gets upset, really frustrated, because God is exactly who God said he was. It's not what Jonah wanted. All right, Jonah, at no point in this story does Jonah stop believing in God. He flees from God. He never stops believing in God. Jonah prays to God. He worships God. Right? He, he's helping, he's teaching truth about God. At no point does Jonah's allegiance shift away from God. Now, this is where I think the book of Jonah can be one of the most practical, helpful books for us, and it's in this. Jonah is a perfect example of somebody who can direct most of their worship in the direction of God, yet fail in embracing the mission of God. That they can have worship pointing towards God, yet they don't want to be involved in the mission of God. And this is the story of Jonah. Because in Jonah's narrative, the way he saw the world was the way you go about life is you have allegiance to God, and you love God's people, and you hate everyone else. Allegiance to God, love God's people, but you don't have to love anyone who doesn't fall in the camp of being God's people. And not only that, Jonah needed his God to play by the rules of that narrative. Jonah needed God to know that God's role was to receive our worship, was to love God's people, and then to destroy everyone else. And don't you hate when God doesn't play by our rules? So Jonah set up this narrative so, a way to think about Jonah, it is a story about Jonah and a fish, but I want you to think more of that, more than just that. It's Jonah in a storm, but it's more than just a storm. I think maybe the best way to read the book of Jonah is this is a story about God and people, and even more than that, this is a story about God and enemies. And this is where it gets really hard, because we live in a time right now where one of the easiest, most effective ways to unite people is to create a common enemy. And if you can create a common enemy, you can quickly and effectively unite people. This is true in sports. This is true in politics. This is true in marketing. It's true globally. If you want to unite a group of people, quick, create a common enemy. John Tyson great author. He's a pastor up in New York City. He says, it's impossible for you to show compassion to a person or a group of people that you have been trained to hate. It's impossible to show compassion to a person or a group of people that you've been trained not to like. There was a novel that came out a few years ago, 1984, I believe is the name of it. And in that novel, one thing they talk about is that one of the goals of cable news and some media outlets, one of the goals is every day can they provide two minutes 
of hate speech. Two minutes that can try to get people to either hate a person or a group. And if they do, then they can provide all kinds of propaganda that can just hook people. All it takes is two minutes of trying to get people to hate something in common. And do you not see this all around us right now? All around us. Preston Sprinkle is a well-known author, and one thing he says is that early Christian writings, and he's not talking about the Bible, of course there's the Bible, but after the Bible, early Christian writings, or the first few hundred years later, he says the quote that you see show up in writings more than any other quote by early Christian writers is the phrase, love your enemies. It's found over 26 times, over 10 writers who talk about this in a span of a couple of hundred years. What Preston argues is that for early Christians, love your enemies was like our John 3.16, for God so loved the world. What he argues is for early Christians, what they were ingraining in their children from an early age, of course it was about the love of God, but it was ingraining in them from an early age that, hey, we live in a time in a Roman Empire, where there are going to be a lot of people who are not going to like us, but we are ingraining in our children that we will grow up with an ethic of love. You love your enemies as yourself. And I think today, I think a lot of us would like live in a healthier way if what we declare today together as a church is that there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. Probably more than we want to admit. Now, the good news today is that Jesus is everything Jonah is not. Jesus is everything Jonah is not. You don't have to worry about Jesus saying yes or no to a mission or stepping into a mission. If you go through those five points, think about how Jesus steps into every one of them. Jesus was given an assignment from God. And it was a harder assignment than going to a place like Nineveh to to teach. It was going all the way to the cross, sacrificing a life, bearing the sin of the world, taking on darkness. And Jesus was willing to do that. Jesus had an assignment. Jesus responded with obedience and faithfulness. Jesus testified to who God is. As Jesus still does testify to the character of God, there is repentance and there is a turning in people's lives. And there can be an expression from us of faithfulness to God because of all Jesus has done. Jesus is everything Jonah is not. This is good news for us. And the last thing is I I think the way Jonah ends, it it like hands the story to us. Like, okay, what are you going to do with the truth and the reality of this story? It's one of the most bizarre endings in the entire Bible. Because God and Jonah are having this conversation about Jonah's anger. And here's what you read. Here's how Jonah ends, if you look at this. It ends with this. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Because God had provided some shade for Jonah. And then it went away. And Jonah said, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or you didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight. It died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And that's how Jonah ends. It ends with the phrase, and a bunch of animals? Question mark? Like, that's it. We don't know what happens to Jonah the rest of his life. It's just left hanging. 
It's open-ended. Because Jonah's story becomes our story. And we get a chance to join with God this week. And what is this script going to look like in your life? And what is this script going to look like in the life of our church? Because the story of Jonah isn't just Jonah saying no to God. It's Jonah saying no to Ninevites. And Jesus teaches us that for God, God is saying yes to all people and asking the church to live in that kind of way. So we're going to move to the table, a place every Sunday for this church, and we take the bread and the cup, and we declare who God is, and we remember God. And there's also this open-endedness in communion. What are we going to do with the reality of the elements we hold? What are we going to do with this? There's the bread and the cup we take every week to be reminded of who Jesus is. And now what are we going to do with this? How are we going to be transformed by it? And our friend Charlie Gonder is going to guide us at the table today. But if there's anything we can do for you in person or online, we have a a card you'll find at sycamoreview.org, a connect card. And for those of you in person, there's an elder who is here to receive you out these doors to the right after our worship service. But for now, will you direct your eyes to the screen?